It's Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the real-life sport inspired by Quidditch has announced their new name, and I have a lot of thoughts. Plus, a few companies in Japan have introduced standing nap boxes into their offices. And on the anniversary of the moon landing, NASA has announced the launch windows for the kickoff mission of our return to the moon. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. The real-life Quidditch leagues, U.S. Quidditch, Major League Quidditch, and the International Quidditch Association have officially changed their names, in part to further distance themselves from Harry Potter's increasingly controversial author. The sport is now called Quadball. The national governing body will now be U.S. Quadball. The semi-professional league in the U.S. and Canada will now be Major League Quadball. And the international governing body will eventually become the International Quadball Association. They first announced that they would be making the change last December, and after consulting with players and fans of the sport, settled on quad ball, which stands for the four balls that are in play during a game, as well as the four different positions of players. The changeover is happening today for U.S. quad ball. Major League Quidditch will make the change following the 2022 MLQ Championship in August, and the International Quidditch Association will also make the change worldwide soon. Now, back in the early Harry Potter heyday, there were a lot of people trying to adapt Quidditch, whether for fun in their neighborhoods or for one-off tournaments at book releases and the like. I remember one fan conference that ran a tournament in the hotel pool, a sort of water polo variation to make up for the lack of flying. But the one that stuck was adapted by Alex Binipe and Xander Manchel at Middlebury College back in 2005. There's no flying, but players do hold broomsticks between their legs for the duration of the game, adding an element of skill there because all the balls must be caught and thrown with just one arm. In its early days, it was definitely more of a fan affair. The official rulebook used to stipulate that players' uniforms had to include capes and goggles like in the movies and commentators were usually local or campus comedians. As the sport shed some of that whimsy and focused more on the athleticism, nixing the fan-made Nimbus 2000 replicas for sturdy, unadorned PVC sticks and the capes for traditional athletic jerseys, it grew to over 600 teams in 40 countries, with multiple leagues and championships, a charity arm, and youth outreach initiatives. As it grew, it developed a reputation for being both surprisingly violent, something the association has worked hard to decrease over the years, introducing many new policies for player safety, and for being one of the most progressive sports when it comes to gender equality and inclusion. More on that in a few minutes. At the moment, the names of the players' positions and the balls still adhere to their Harry Potter origins. Chasers throw quaffles through opposing teams' hoops. Beaters throw bludgers at opposing players to knock them out, dodgeball style. Keepers guard the hoops, and seekers have to catch a human snitch like a game of tag. However, Quadball notes on their site that position and ball names may be changing at a later date. Now, one reason for the big name change is to continue growing unimpeded by trademark pressures with the name Quidditch. Quoting MLQ's statement, 
The sport inspired by Quidditch is looking to continue to grow like other sports that have sprung from humble origins. The game commonly known as Ultimate Frisbee has officially changed its name to Ultimate, in part because Frisbee is a registered trademark of the Whammo toy company that invented the piece of equipment. USQ and MLQ will own the trademark for Quadball in the United States. The trademark for Quidditch is owned by the Warner Brothers Film and Entertainment Company. Bringing full creative control of the name of our sport to the vibrant community of players and fans that has grown and sustained it will allow our organizations to take the next step, said MLQ co-commissioner Amanda Dallas. We are now able to pursue the kinds of opportunities that our community has dreamed about for years. End quote. But of course, another contributing factor was the broken trust between J.K. Rowling and LGBTQ plus fans of Harry Potter, which MLQ addressed as their first point in yesterday's statement. Quoting NBC News, in their statement Tuesday, the leagues noted that Rowling's views have faced criticism from three lead actors in the Harry Potter film series, as well as LGBTQ advocacy groups like GLAAD and the Human Rights Campaign. Rowling has repeatedly tweeted and written about transgender people in recent years. In June 2020, for example, she wrote a nearly 4,000-word blog post that some critics called a transphobic manifesto. In the post, she questioned whether more young people have come out as transgender because of a contagion fueled by social media. She also described her own experiences with domestic abuse and assault, which she said made her concerned for the safety of women and girls in bathrooms and changing rooms, for example. A 2018 study by the Williams Institute at the UCLA School of Law found that there is no evidence that letting transgender people use restrooms and other public facilities that align with their gender identity increases safety risks. Rowling's public statements run contrary to the sport's commitment to inclusivity, the leagues have said, end quote. And because I think this is important to note, in addition to that manifesto, which featured zero citations and repeated many long-debunked misconceptions, Rowling has continued to regularly post tweets denying the realities of trans people and stick to her guns without apology, which is, of course, fully within her right, and it's fully within the rights of fans to no longer want to support her. And full disclosure here, I've been involved with U.S. Quidditch, or Quadball, for over a decade in various capacities, including as an employee of the nonprofit that served as their fiscal sponsor while they were applying for 501c3 status. So while I haven't personally spoken with anyone from the organization during this name change, I have a lot of bias here, and also a bit of insight. Here's something that I can tell you. So the nonprofit that I worked for back then used to be called the Harry Potter Alliance. Last year, they too changed their name to Fandom Forward. Now that organization, also founded in 2005, mobilizes fans of nerdy pop culture stories all around the world to affect change in their communities. They've done things like registering thousands of first-time voters, donating hundreds of thousands of books all around the globe, organizing around immigration reform, economic inequality, net neutrality, and LGBTQ rights, especially, ironically, trans rights, all by using the shared interests, enthusiasm, and organizing skills of fans. Now here's the thing about Fandom Forward and Quadball and a number of other fan-created organizations that have changed their names in the last couple of years as J.K. Rowling has continued to regularly publicize her anti-trans opinions. Most of them considered changing their name years ago. This was just the straw that broke the camel's back. 
Fandom Forward first discussed dropping the Harry Potter from their name back in 2011, after the final movie was released, in order to reflect the broader fan interests of their members, and maybe get a little bit more respect in the nonprofit space where they were frequently mistaken as a fan club run by kids. Quadball has been distancing themselves from their quirky Wizarding World origins for years, particularly as they became one of the fastest-growing intramural sports on college campuses and increasingly attracted athletes with little to no interest in the book or film series. And Warner Brothers has been on more of a warpath with trademark claims ever since their Fantastic Beasts movies started tanking in theaters. I mean, that's conjecture on my part for their motives, but the timing of their ramp-up after years of looking the other way certainly lines up. So even ethics aside, a lot of fan organizations saw the writing on the wall and decided to change their name before Warner Brothers came knocking. That J.K. Rowling has made their original names and associations leave a bad taste in their mouths just made the change that much easier. As original IQA founder Benape said when the Quidditch name change intention was first announced last year, quote, I've been a strong advocate for making this move for a long time. The sport needs its own space without limits on its growth potential, and changing the name is crucial to achieving that. End quote. What's kind of ironic for a lot of these organizations is, despite some internal desire to change the name for years, a big reason they never did was because having the tie to Harry Potter was good marketing. Quadball was able to draw in athletes, spectators, and press off the novelty of being real-life Quidditch. Fandom Forward was frequently able to garner press that analogous small nonprofits couldn't dream of just because slapping Harry Potter fans onto the front of a headline guaranteed more clicks. But in light of J.K. Rowling's increasingly vocal opinions over the years that veered further and further away from the majority opinions of fans who grew up with her books, being associated with Harry Potter is no longer something that draws people to an organization, but has rather become something that makes some stay away. What used to be great for recruiting has suddenly become a barrier. Major League Quadball Media Outreach Coordinator Jack McGovern expressed this sentiment to NPR, saying, quote, I think our leagues have always and still attract people from lots of different backgrounds, people who come to the sport because they're Harry Potter fans and people who come to the sport because they're looking for an outlet for athletics in their life. The sport has also always drawn heavily from the LGBTQ plus community, and maintaining a welcoming space for all of those people who might be interested in the sport is really important to us. End quote. And yes, there are tons of Harry Potter fans out there who do not care too much about J.K. Rowling's opinions, or honestly haven't heard about any of the controversy, or who agree with her. But as someone who has been deeply involved in the fan community since the early aughts, I can tell you that all of the folks who lead fan-run organizations and media, sports leagues, news websites, conferences, podcasts, music, art, fan fiction, the leaders and creators of those, the most hardcore fans, are overwhelmingly progressive, especially when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community, for which Harry Potter weirdly became this little queer haven over the years. In fact, I just noticed the other day that one of the bigger Harry Potter news websites, HPANA, which back in the day was treated to exclusive access to film sets and red carpet premieres, changed their Twitter bio at some point to read, quote, Award-winning news service established in 2002 to report on Harry Potter, now covering the demise of J.K. Rowling's legacy. End quote. 
That's a saltier take, but almost every major OG Harry Potter fan news site now has their profile pictures covered in trans colors with pinned statements of solidarity with the trans community. Podcasts, bands, and other fan groups have either followed suit or just closed up shop, citing an inability to engage with the material any longer. Many of these fan organizations are run by LGBTQ plus individuals or serve overwhelmingly LGBTQ plus audiences. So from within those organizations, it makes a lot of sense that leaders would be concerned about anything that could make their spaces less safe or just less appealing to people who have historically made up a large part of their community. Even if from the outside, I understand it could look like an overreaction or some kind of grandstanding. And just to emphasize how committed to gender equality Quadball has always been, and something that would likely anger J.K. Rowling even more these days, over a decade ago, the League added a rule, then called Title IX and Three Quarters, to their handbook. Named after Title IX in the U.S., it stipulates that there can never be more than four players of the same gender from the same team on the pitch at a time. Gender in this rule has always been defined by the athlete themselves, not based on expression or documentation or whatever. Nowadays, they call it the gender maximum rule, but regardless of the name, I've always thought of it as a great model for co-ed sports, and given that it was introduced so many years ago, is a concrete example of how far fans have been from J.K. Rowling's personal values for so long. Now, again, that is my opinion and observation here. McGovern at USQ and MLQ told the New York Times in reference to the trademark reason and J.K. Rowling's opinions for the name change, quote, We've tried to be clear that it's both reasons. We did not intend to give a value judgment about which reason was more important than the other, end quote. As someone who's been following the sport from almost the beginning, I am pretty stoked to see where it might be able to go from here, without the trademark pressures or franchise connections holding them down. And if you want to catch a game, the 2022 MLQ Championship will be in Howard County, Maryland, the weekend of August 20th, and the IQA European Games will be this coming weekend in Limerick, Ireland, featuring teams from Europe, Australia, and Hong Kong. It will also be live streamed link in the show notes. And I gotta say, quad ball games are seriously fun to watch, especially at the championship level. So I recommend checking out the live streams or searching for a game near you sometime in the future. How do you solve burnouts and overwork in your company culture? Hiring more people? A better division of responsibilities? More time off? How about standing pods for power naps? At least two companies in Japan have introduced what look like slim, capsule-shaped wardrobes, but which are actually designed to support a person's head, back, and knees while sleeping upright. The product, dubbed a nap box, is meant to provide a healthier and space-saving alternative to existing nap solutions in Japanese offices. Quote a nerdist, if you've ever been to Japan, you've likely noticed a cultural difference. Referred to as enemery, people sleeping in public places like trains or even bars is not uncommon. We can't quite picture napping upright, though, unless, of course, you're in the zero-gravity environment of the space station, end quote, or, I don't know, a vampire. 
But I do have to say, as someone who does sleep in tons of public spaces and catches a nap literally anytime I can, I love this idea of culturally accepted enamory. A lot of it in Japan, though, is because people are working supremely long hours. So while it's nice that most offices accept the idea that their overworked employees need a little rest in the middle of the day if they aren't able to get enough sleep at night, I'm still inclined to feel like maybe they should just find ways to make sure their employees aren't so overworked. But a representative at Itaki, the furniture specialist who co-developed the nap boxes, purports that a lot of employees end up locking themselves in the bathroom just to get some shut-eye during the day. So if behaviors like that are commonplace, then these standing nap boxes are definitely a step up. And whether you're overworked and getting too little sleep or not, Bloomberg says that research does indicate restorative rest increases productivity. So naps for the win. But I'm not totally sold just yet on these Ikea-esque coffin-looking nap boxes. Well, on this National Space Exploration Day, started in 1984 to commemorate the landing on the moon 15 years prior, NASA held a teleconference to announce the next steps for our return to the moon. Speaking to media and the public this morning, Associate Administrator for Exploration Systems Development Jim Free announced possible launch dates for Artemis 1. Artemis 1 will be the uncrewed mission sending an Orion spacecraft around the moon as a test for subsequent crewed missions. It will be the first test of Orion spacecrafts and of the eternally delayed, inconceivably expensive mega rocket, the Space Launch System, or SLS. Free said the placeholder dates they now have for that Artemis 1 launch are August 29th, September 2nd, and September 5th. The Orion spacecraft will orbit the moon and return to Earth just over 40 days later in early to mid-October. If all goes well there, Artemis 2, with humans in tow, will likely launch in late spring of 2024, performing a lunar flyby, and then Artemis 3 will actually land on the moon in 2020. 25. But it all starts this August, or September, with Artemis 1. This isn't a hugely updated timeline, but with continual rumors of delays, it is reassuring to hear confirmation of launch windows being locked in. Although, considering the myriad challenges that have faced development of the SLS in particular, many are still looking at this timeline as rather ambitious. As Mike Pearl at Mashable said of the proposed launch window, quote, it's what you might call a moonshot, end quote. All right, that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.